Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode for what week? The week before we start the new IndyCar season. I'm really excited. Doing this long enough where it always surprises me, right? It's like, ah, doing racing for 30 plus years. It's got to get old at some point, right? No, not a chance. <laughs> Still excited about this like I was a kid. So maybe that's a good thing, right? Hopefully y'all feel the same way. Just that Christmas kind of thing is coming. Whatever is coming and we're going to get to unwrap the big old present known as a new season of IndyCar racing. So Lots to get through here tonight, recording this on a Tuesday evening. Why Tuesday instead of the traditional Monday evening slot? I'm not going to be recording a podcast on Valentine's Day. Any of you have kids that you grew up with who, for whatever reason, pronounced it Ballantimes, like B-A-L-L-A-N-T-Y-M-E-S, Ballantimes Day? I did. Uh, a surprising number of kids that I grew up with did. I think they're also the ones who referred to the library as the library. So yeah, my wife and I were talking about that yesterday. Maybe there's a link between kids who say Ballantimes and library. Anyways, we've already fallen off the rails. We haven't even started the show. I'm going to say a big thank you to you as always for the questions you send in that power everything we do. Massive thank you as well to Cooper Tires, the amazing folks whose products not only carried on millions of vehicles worldwide, but also the Road to Indy Junior Open Wheel Racing's tire of choice. Justice Brothers, their automotive chemicals and lubricants have been a part of my life forever. And so thankful that the Justice family uh, are part of this show. And then TorontoMotorsports.com, motor racing memorabilia. Yes, south of the border, but hey, uh, Canada's a mighty fine place. So no uh, trucks blocking, shipping, or anything like that. IndyCar hats, t-shirts, stickers, driver stuff, you name it. TorontoMotorsports.com. Pay them a visit. Before we get rolling with your questions, mention a few things that might be of interest. One, if you are a fan of motor racing, might be a fan of the podcast, but want to join a family of those who love motor racing, talk about it, talk about the show, talk about life, the universe, and everything else. There's a, a listener group that's formed around the show called the Pruday, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y, and there's an email address, Pruday Rocks, R-O-C-K-S, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y, R-O-C-K-S, at gmail.com. If you'd like to join in, and be part of a growing racing community. Prudayrocks at gmail.com. Uh, I'm told by the men and women who look after that email account. Uh, yeah, give them a day or two. They'll get back to you, get you added in, and uh, you can talk racing, talk life, have some fun, do some cool community things, you name it. Prudayrocks at gmail.com. Finished two days, the last two days of testing ahead of the new season. Two days at Sebring, yesterday, Monday, or I should say Monday, uh, more favorable conditions for sure. Colton Herta set a blinding lap of 51.851 seconds around the Sebring short course. Cars and drivers have gotten faster than that in the past. Not much, though. Uh, 
heard from some folks this morning, rivals who were not pleased (laughs) knowing that if Colton's doing that already, yeah, boy, watch out. Today's running a slightly different cast, some carryover teams and drivers, but also some new drivers filtering in less favorable conditions. Fastest lap was definitely a few tenths slower. That being Simon Pagano spoke with Simon after his run Lots of wind, big gusts, and sand blown across the track. So not as fast today, but definitely the Marshank folks. One, two with Simon and Elio. They were quite happy. So might have read about Monday. You might have already read about Tuesday on racer.com. If not, pay a visit and find out who was fast, who wasn't, etc., etc. What else? Had it done for the most part a couple weeks ago, but... It just took a little longer than I really wanted to to get my first Indy 500 uh, anticipated entry list story up. Not chock full of all kinds of, yay, there's going to be a million cars and whatnot. But uh, as our friend Juan Montoya likes to say, it is what it is. So you might have checked that out on Racer as well. What else has gone up here this week? Hey, uh, Jeff Jenkins, the producer behind Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Uh, he continues to make good progress in getting a IndyCar docu-style kind of sort of drive to survive, but don't call it that, kind of thing ready to pitch to streaming services. So at least some of the feedback that I read were folks saying, what in the bleep, keeping up with the Kardashians, keep that away from IndyCar. I don't agree Uh, Granted, I'm not a follower of the Kardashian reality shows, but I do know that they sure are popular. And if the guy who has done those has the ability to maybe create more fans for IndyCar through a docu-style reality series, I'm all for it. Whatever it takes to get more fans, make the series somewhat like it once was terms of fan size popularity all those things prosperity that comes with it sign me up so hopefully good things happen there what else uh mentioned yeah indycar has decided to yank the uh the idea of doing a special schedule for texas to accommodate drivers going to sebring you know got a couple of questions on that so i'll save uh deeper insight on that for you and yeah, got a couple other things I'm working on here. I'm going to try and get one or two of them out before the end of the week. Yeah, uh, busy times, great times. No complaints there whatsoever. Uh, for those of you who ask about my wife and how she's doing, we had chemo today. That all went super well. And yeah, honestly, Nothing but positives to report on the home front. And we even have, as a guest host for this episode, right now at least, uh, our oldest cat, Rocky, who is to my right and currently grooming himself and picking at his claws, I think trying to sharpen them so he can dig them into me a little bit later. All right, let's get uh, some music bed going here and then crack open the questions put together by our dear friend, Jim Kaiser, he grabs them all at my request, looks through them, decides what interests him, what he thinks is a good fit for the show, 
as a serious lifelong IndyCar fan, and then we work through as many as possible in the allotted time. I won't tell you how long it is, but for the first time, maybe the second ever, but really the first time since I started doing this show, uh, I actually have a timer in front of me that I'm staring at, and I'm going to do my darndest to stick to it. So let's get rolling here. Pal Jameen Tuttle opens up with Indy 500 entry list related items. Says, MP, hope you and your beautiful wife had a wonderful Valentine's Day. Read your story on the Indy 500 entries. I'm wondering how Roger Penske can do so many things well, but completely whiff on getting Peretta Autosport into the Indy 500. Says, if we're going to do a knee jerk reaction, strand Miles Rowe just to look good. Uh, by possibility of getting Ernie Francis closer to the Indy 500. How about the same for Beth Peretta and her driver, Simona Di Silvestro? Beth Peretta is a great story. And when we get that Netflix series one day about her, uh, she would make a fantastic part of it. Closes by saying, instead, we're a few months out and she's still on the outside. That's crazy. Can't share the contents of most of the conversation but conversations, but yeah, I'd probably guess I've spent two, three, four hours on the phone with Beth um, over the last month plus, uh, and then more last year, just trying to see how things are going, what's going on, share some insights uh, about things that I know that might be options for her. I do that not exclusively by any means. So uh, with some other folks who are trying to get in, it's kind of a normal thing. So please don't think that it's Again, specific to any one person, but as a reporter and a person who knows things and also some things that aren't ready for print, it's not uncommon, whether it's a team owner like Beth or a driver who's out of a drive looking for a drive. Hey, I've heard this has happened over here. You might talk to them. Kind of normal stuff. So I just share that because while I don't know the ins and outs of what all did or didn't happen between Beth and the Race for Equality and Change program, which helped put her team on the grid last year. It is weird, Jameen. It really is. And I think there are some pathways for Beth to be back at the Indy 500. I know that she has a budget, right? So that's good. She has an engine, so that's good. It's the finding a chassis, finding a team, to run that car that is needed we know that she had new crew members uh mostly women racers who were part of the program last year i believe many of them as i'm told could and would be part of the program this year assuming everything comes together but maybe the main takeaway here is to my knowledge None of the the women who were working on the car, folks that you would consider experts in IndyCar, learning for sure, not necessarily at the stage where you say, hey, we just got a car from wherever, prep it and let's go test. Still a lot of training and education going on, which would require a veteran racing team, IndyCar maybe even IMSA or something like that, uh, where there's often a lot of crossover 
of you know ex IndyCar mechanics in IMSA, IMSA mechanics working in IndyCar tends to be a lot of common knowledge there. Where you could say, okay, these are the veterans who are going to oversee and lead and continue uh, training the young women who were working with the team last year. That is what we had happening with the Penske team, Penske involvement with that uh, Peretta Autosport Chevy entry for Simona. So there's still that need for veteran IndyCar-ish type infrastructure, team and crew-wise, Jameen, for that to be something to enable Beth to go forward. Couple ways to maybe make a chassis happen. So we'll see what takes place there. To your greater point, I'm going to pivot off of this and move to the other entry list questions here because I feel like I've gone into pretty serious depth about my concerns about the race for equality and change in recent episodes. If you really want to do something, do it. If you don't, not a big fan of going halfway. And so from your perspective, as I see it from mine, for sure. And I would think many others pretty serious value being brought with Beth being in the field or at least on the entry list, right? Can't guarantee anyone would qualify, but with Peretta Autosport, the women of Peretta Autosport and Simona Di Silvestro on the entry list with a team, with a car, the Indy 500 and the NTT IndyCar Series benefits massively, period. It's not even a question. So I put in the entry list part, entry list story related to Beth. She, not any other driver, any other team owner, Beth was the person on the Today Show in the morning, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, People Magazine, uh, run through all of the big general forms of media that the majority of folks would tend to consume, not the industry stuff, right? I mean, she there was plenty of that generated too. But IndyCar's biggest problem for many years now has been lift up and out of the Midwest, up and out of a niche corner of the sporting world to connect with Chicago, Texas, New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, run through the up and outward. We know the Midwest loves IndyCar. That's not a question, not a problem. It's the, hey, everyone else used to love it too, and has kind of forgotten about it. And so when you get this amazing unicorn of a Beth Peretta and a Simona Di Silvestro and this amazing group of women racers who've come together, the interest generated from it is unlike anything else that anyone got. Elio winning the 500 became huge news, right? Huge feel-good story. That certainly brought a lot of national attention as a result of that. But leading up to the Indy 500, during practice, during qualifying, between qualifying and the race, Peretta Auto Sport was making the rest of the country 
think about, know about, and in some cases care about the Indy 500 and IndyCar in ways that we have not seen in a while. So why would you not do everything in your power to make sure that this giant booster, (laughs) vitamin B, Beth, and vitamin D, D Silvestro, why would you not do everything in your power since you've done it once? Make sure that it was there. This is good for the series, good for the race. Wow. Why would you not do that? I don't, I am just struggling to see where exactly as you point out here, Jameen, where is the failure to grasp? Uh, I realize that there's time and people and, and asset investments required here. But if you think about the investment versus the reward as demonstrated in 2021, this seems to be seems to me to be one of those things that the minute the race is over, you say, we're doing this again. I don't know exactly how, right? Maybe it's not with Roger's crew. Maybe it's not with whatever it is. We're going to make it happen. So fingers crossed. Oh, let's go to Andrew Miller. Andrew says, is the conservative nature of the Indy 500 entry list this year being driven by teams looking ahead to next year, say new hybrid costs? Are folks more afraid than last year of an extra effort ending up 34th or worse uh, and whatnot, fears of being bumped? As I have received it, Andrew, from the folks that I've spoken with, you got a lot of factors going on here. I didn't include it in the entry list article just because I feel like I've mentioned it so many times in recent articles that it would just be um, beating a, a, a drum unnecessarily here. And that is Chevy and Honda been fairly clear for months now that, hey, we're not going to go buck nutty with engine leases for the Indy 500. So if you want one, get in now, get in early, let's make it happen. But uh, surprise, late entries and what, we're just, we're not going to do it. Um, You mentioned 2023, manufacturers not wanting to go too crazy and divert too many people for this year's Indy 500, the last one that's supposed to be with the, uh, the, what would then, what would be the old engine formula uh, when we come around next year been some limitations there um some of the teams where you go okay we're accustomed to you getting an extra one for the 500 not going to be doing that for you we've seen and this is probably one of the bigger shifts to understand uh hey ray hollerman lanigan you're normally two full-time cars and you add a third for the 500. Hey, Dale Coyne, you're normally two, and you add a third for the Speedway. Uh, and I could run through some more, and I know I'm just mentioning Honda here, but it's been a, hey, there's a couple of you that have indeed expanded. You've added an extra full-time car. And so even if your team hasn't, some others have, that's going to make just handing out a bunch of leases a little bit more of a challenge. We're up to 26 full-time entries this year. Just means that there's a little bit less on the table, engine-wise, 
to go around for May, knowing that the manufacturers aren't wanting to push to crazy numbers uh, to support and also then have to totally stress their uh, personnel ecosystem trying to look after those engine leases too. So you have teams not necessarily wanting to help others looking for chassis. That's something else, right? I'd say part of this, Andrew, is I know that I went into about a five-minute rant an episode or two ago about trying to pin down Jay Fry, see, to find out when a new chassis is going to come, see, but he he won't tell us other than it's a five-year plan, see, but we don't know within those five years when we're actually going to get a new chassis, see. It's one thing if you say, okay, we know that a new chassis is coming in this year and it's coming soon, and therefore, okay, we can maybe feel a little bit uh, less locked down about who we might lease a chassis to, or if we were going to run an extra one, and hey, if, what if we tear up a car too, and how would that hurt us? Uh, it's another thing when you can't pin anything down, and you don't know, is it going to be 24? Is it going to be 25? Is it going to be 26? Don't know. Well, since we don't know when we're going to have to do a changeover, but we know it's coming sometime soon, let's just make sure we aren't leasing something and putting it at risk then finding ourselves out of luck, poop out of luck, if that car comes back snapped in half or whatever, and all of a sudden we need to go and in theory spend money to buy another car and wait for that to be manufactured and delivered. And future's a little bit in question on from a timeline standpoint, but we're getting close. So let's just be conservative and not be too friendly in lending things and leasing things to others. There's a lot of general things here we might point to, Andrew, but some or all of them have been cited as reasons for why even teams with 10 chassis <laughs> uh, who are only running five drivers or four drivers or whatever it is at Indy are saying no. I mean, uh, these cars are built, they're ready, they're turnkey, they're polished, they're everything that we want and need. Um, maybe if it was, who knows, last year, the year before, a little bit farther away, might've been more prone to be generous with making them available or running an extra person and trying to do all that. But right now, honestly, we're just going to stay local. We're going to try and stay closed in a little bit. It's just the vibe, man. It's just the vibe. So we'll see what happens. Uh, why don't we go to Steve Bonek, who's going to close this thread. MP read the article you did about 8,500 entries on Racer, about the estimated number of entries. Got me thinking about co-entrance. Has it always been a thing? We just didn't hear about it. Or is it a relatively new concept? Been around forever, brother. Been around for, I don't know if ever is the right way to put it, but been around for a long time, Steve. By no means anything new. The change that's happened is it's become more fashionable in recent years. So more fashionable and also I think seen as the pathway that some manufacturers prefer. I won't mention 
no, I'm trying to, I apologize. I'm trying to think I've spoken to so many people recently that it's maybe blurring together of who, when and where, but I know that there was one team that was looking to be in and to be part of the Indy 500 as a co-entrant and was trying to get a engine lease that they could bring to a team as an enticement. Hi, you got the team, you got the cars. Guess what? And you're affiliated with the manufacturer I'm speaking with. This manufacturer uh, has given me an engine lease. Granted, you don't give an engine lease. You agree. You pay a nice wedge of money for that engine lease for the month of May. But, uh, and they were told, and I know others have been told the same thing. Hi, love your interest. Would love to work with you. We're going to need you to find an existing team to partner with. And even then we're going to review here because we want to make sure this is a quality effort. So no, we're not going to give you person who's never run an Indy car before or person who's never been a serious co-entrant before come back with a deal with team X Chevy Honda, whatever it is, come back with some form of agreement with that team. And at that point in time, we will probably do something in your favor and say yes, but not before. So I'd say that Steve, that's been something where not every instance, but a growing number of instances in recent years where when you see this name attached to an existing team, we all know or two or three or whatever it might be. There's often a bit of direction going on beforehand behind the scenes of an engine manufacturer saying, we don't know you, but we know them and we vouch for them. And if you can, here's the number to the person who owns that team or runs the team that happens too. It, it truly does call this person and here's one or two other numbers for you to call to other teams. If you can find something there, we got something to talk about. That's a big thing for talking to Indy 500 co-entries. Another thing too, this is where the control part and the money part are a little bit difficult actually wrote a whole closing about this in that Indy 500 piece and deleted it just because I thought it was, a, I don't know. Um, I just, it was already too long as it was, but it's a hard time to be a small, ambitious person who wants to compete in the Indy 500 as a co-entrant, full entrant, compete in IndyCar, if you aren't sitting on a giant stack of cash. So if you do not have all the money to go buy yourself a car, order one from Delara and secure a tire lease and an engine lease and put together a shop and transporter and crew and, you know, Hey, I've just started a new racing business pumped whatever the number ends up being five, $10 million into this startup business. 
and then hope to go motor racing unless you're doing that as we spoke about at the outset in regards to beth peretta for example it's not that easy right now uh maybe harder than i've seen in a good long while steve where maybe you do have an engine lease maybe you even have a budget don't have a car it often takes the kindness grace of someone being sympathetic to you saying all right well we don't exactly want to but yes we can make this thing available expensive thing or item hot commodity rare commodity we can make those things available to you to help you launch your dream effectively you've got pieces of the puzzle but you're missing some major parts we're willing to help you complete that puzzle right now but stefan wilson and don cusick cusick motorsports they have a really rare problem (laughs) where they have full budget to do the indy 500 and more and know that the formula change coming up with the engine probably a chassis change coming up again here sometime in the very near future they're not rolling in obscene cash right we're just going to blow millions for fun so they're trying to be smart saying i don't know if now's the time to go buy a chassis maybe two and do all this huge stuff when we might be throwing all this away in a year or two or whatever and so we've got a budget We've got a driver who will run us. Nobody. There's nobody currently raising their hand to take their good money to do that. Really nobody's wanting to stretch themselves right now. So it's a weird place, Steve, that even those who have the hardest thing to find, which is the money, got that part of the puzzle filled. Who will take it? Beth Peretta, same situation. I got the money. I got the lease. We'll take it. Yeah. So even though you might have an engine manufacturer on your side saying, yep, we're in with you. Uh, Trying to be a co-entrant right now to use that as kind of the baby steps to then become a part-time team owner like Mike Shank did, Mike and Mary Beth Shank did and then grow more and grow more and then become full-time like that shank meyer shank racing blueprint is one that a number of folks are wanting to follow having seen it work just in a few of these cases and there aren't many of the cases to begin with steve but in a few of these cases right now it's those folks wanting to follow in the meyer shank racing model extending their hand hoping someone will grab it and lift them up and they're currently just sitting there with their hands held out waiting to see if anybody uh will extend theirs uh we're gonna move to miko at it's underscore miko from twitter says hi marshall and finally the acronym i've been looking for b-t-y-y-w-a-y-c best to you your wife and your cats thanks miko says a uh, long time listener first time question asker 
traveling from Ireland to St. Pete for my first IndyCar race. First time in the States, too. Well, I'm hoping to see you there, Mikko. Everything keeps going as it is, and COVID rates are declining. Uh, I will indeed be flying to St. Pete next week. Any suggestions for making the most of the weekend? I heard the question on last week's podcast about restaurants in the area. However, I'm wondering if you have any other tips about the race weekend as a whole. So I bought a paddock pass too. I would love to make the most of the IndyCar fan experience. Thank you. So I don't know if this is going to make the most of it. That'll be up for you to decide afterwards, maybe during. Um, Reach out. Love to uh, meet up with you in the paddock there. And uh, first time coming to St. Pete, first time in the States, I would then assume it might be your first IndyCar race unless you attended uh, some of those in the UK or Europe in the past. But uh, that's awesome. So uh, let's connect and I'll walk around and introduce you to some people or show you some things and do uh, as much of a little behind the scenes uh, tour as I can because if you're coming this far man like you know got to go behind the barriers so if you heard my answers for last weekend or from last the last show good lord I'm not drunk but I should be um, I don't have a lot more to offer so this is where we hopefully use the power of the Pruday uh other listeners, those who are based in Florida, those who attend St. Pete, I'm thinking of Stitch Turner, I'm thinking of Vincent uh, and Wendy Anderson, uh, I'm thinking of any others uh, who are regulars at the St. Pete event. This is your opportunity here to help a fellow listener coming in from good old the land of Ire and share some thoughts and tips with uh Mikko. so uh either tag me and i'll well don't do that just do it yourself you don't need me don't need me to be the intermediary at it's it's underscore Mikko m-i-c-k-o on twitter uh send Mikko some ideas some thoughts ways to get the most out of uh the trip to saint pete and the race weekend Love it. Thanks for sending that in, Mikko. And again, let's uh, uh, let's be sure to connect, and I'll, I'll give you as much of an insider's tour as I can. Uh, Jonas Magnuson asking about another Magnuson. It says, MP, what do you make of Kevin Magnuson testing for Ganassi? You think Scott Dixon or Jimmy Johnson have told the team 2022 will be their final season in IndyCar? Does this test make it less likely that Magnuson is bound for the third McLaren car? They're expecting to start running later in the season and could say Juan Montoya continue with uh, McLaren team after Indy. Interesting questions all, Jonas. I don't think Dixon would have told them ahead of time I'm done after 2022. I do think it's going to be Jimmy's last full-time at least the team has known for a little while now that hey scott dixon although he's eternally competitive he's not going to drive until he's 100 years old jimmy's plans as well know for a fact that whether it's end of 22 or maybe he decides to do another year in 23 i don't know what that ends up being ultimately but i do know that 
This is not meant to be a, hey, I just spent 50 years in NASCAR, and now I'm going to do 50 in IndyCar. It's meant to be a shorter-term thing for Jimmy. I just share that because the team knows they're going to need one, maybe two drivers here short-term. There was a window of opportunity when Kevin signed with the team last year, uh, or I should say maybe that was the end of 2020, to race for Ganassi in IMSA uh, in the 2021 WeatherTech Championship season. I was aware of an opportunity very early in 21 where if they wanted to hold on to him and have him do IndyCar this year, um, there were some possibilities of that happening. I think they were, it was a pretty high bar that needed to be met, you know, like basically, hey, going to guarantee a full season or more and full budget and full everything. And it's kind of hard to do more or less before you've started the current season to make that commitment to someone for the following season. But I do know that they loved what they saw from him enough in IMSA to say, hey, uh, Let's go do an evaluation day. You're going to help us. This is going to be testing, true testing. We're not going there to try and have you wow us with your freakish speed. It's not a test of you, how fast you are, but let's see how you fit in on the development side, the R&D, the feedback, making the car better side, because we know you got everything else. And everything I heard was they were super, super happy with Kev. Um the only question, Jonas, here, and uh, it may be out there, it may have already been written however a year ago, and I just missed it. I don't know how long his contract is with Peugeot because that's where he's going to be racing this year at some point in the World Endurance Championship. Factory deal there. Is it one year? Is it two years? Is it one year with an option? Is that option his to pick up, or can the team or the manufacturer pick it up? I don't know these things. So the question mark for me Again, I might just be ignorant, and the answer's out there. Is Kevin free at the end of 22 or 23? Um, That would probably dictate if he wanted to do so uh, when he might join Ganassi's IndyCar program. You mentioned the McLaren side. I know that the team certainly is looking at who they might include next year if there were to be driver changes or an addition. I don't know if I would say going to a third car full-time is a fact for 2023. I'm still trying to get that figured out. Uh, I know they've spoken about it. I've written about it, that there's an interest and could and might and probably will and all kinds of things, but not totally sure where Kevin would fit into that if that car were to roll out and do whatever amount of races the, the latter stages of the year after Indianapolis for sure. Uh, could it be another driver? Again, not totally sure. But where I thought he might be a prime candidate for Air McLaren SP next year, the year after, again, all depending on the Peugeot contract, surprise pleasantly surprised the ganassi team has said hey let's put our hat in the kevin magnuson uh ring and see who might come out 
in the lead of securing his services that he's already done a year with them that he came back to do the Rolex 24 with them here last month. It's, it's pretty clear that he's happy with the team likes what he has like what he's seen. And, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued by this Jonas. Can't tell you if it's going to happen with Ganassi, with Air McLaren SP, if any of that's going to come true. But he certainly wouldn't be testing the car and investing time to do that if he had zero interest in being an IndyCar. Uh, I, I Lemur from Reddit. Zach Brown mentioned that identical liveries are not allowed in IndyCar. What is the reason for this rule? I got to raise my hand and say I'm not aware it is a rule. Uh, if it is, then once again, uh, my ignorance but i have no idea so i will try and look into this and find out oscar love how you doing oscar he said okay as requested so is this being black history month what chances does ernie francis jr ha- jr have finding success in indycar and open wheelers or does he end up like willie t ribs or other drivers in the past I think the kid has some serious talent, Oscar. We're going to find out in the next couple of months whether that talent looks like it is something that should be elevated to IndyCar. He's been super impressive for what he has done, obviously, in his Trans Am and call it sports car career. He's also been very impressive in the limited amount of open wheel racing that he has done. Wouldn't say it was against the world's stiffest competition last year, but we're going to find out in short order in Indy Lights what he's working with while still also having to learn a ton. It's a hard situation to be in, but you're going to see flashes of brilliance if those flashes exist in open wheel. Mention Willie T. As I have said before, Willie, for example, someone who was phenomenal in junior open wheel racing and even more phenomenal in GT style racing, big silhouette, tube frame, fire breathing, zillion horsepower, Trans Am cars, IMSA GTO cars, throw him into a GTP car, high downforce crazy grip knife edge handling wasn't really his thing uh did his best but was never feared in big prototypes like he was in the gto and trans am cars translate that as well over to indycar he had some really solid races did very well from time to time realized he was often with smaller teams, underfunded, under something. There were some occasions where he had pretty decent equipment, you know, decent opportunities, and he wasn't exactly someone who was feared in these high-power, high-downforce, even faster and more knife-edge than the GTP cars. Just sharing this, and none of that said is a revelation or, or anything meant to be mean about my dear friend Willie, his talent was perfectly fit in some areas, 
by no means all. And not every great racing driver is great at every discipline. Definitely the case with Willie T. Draw this back to Ernie. We know Ernie in a Trans Am car, sports car, similar, lower, medium grade, junior open wheeler. Guys, wow. <laughs> wow. Throw him into the highest level of the road to Indian Indy Lights. We're going to find out. Going up against Linus Lundqvist, Benjamin Peterson, Matty Brabham, Hunter McElray, yada, yada, like uh, Christian Rasmussen. He's going to be going up against some open wheel hunter killers. And does he have the ability to translate that immense talent demonstrated in other formulas, other styles of racing to do the same in big and biggest open wheel cars? That to me is what this year is about. So chance. Yes, of course he has a chance. We're just going to find out if that talent travels to everything. And if so, I think we're going to be talking about Ernie Francis Jr. entered in Indianapolis 500 in the number 99 Force Indy Chevrolet. Not this year, but that would be a next year thing. Um, that's the goal. Get Ernie to IndyCar. Um we're going to find out. So he definitely has a chance, brother. I mean, he does. And I'm rooting for him every step of the way. Uh, Willie T and I <laughs> brought him to Roger Penske's attention to our some, somewhat of our surprise. He had no idea who he was. And so sent Roger his contact info, his email info, sent like, hey, here's everything. Talk to this kid. So I appreciate the fact that Roger wants to find out. And I know, although they haven't said it, I've heard background that if things go well in indy lights and he demonstrates that aptitude be on the lookout for ernie francis and force indy to the indy 500 so i just pray that we don't have a miles row like situation where if ernie francis jr doesn't just destroy the field as a rookie the quote experiments considered a failure at the end of the year and uh we're kind of washing our hands of him i don't you know it's not my program but man uh i really hope they there's less harshness to ernie if as a rookie going up against a lot of veterans uh, or champions in Indy Pro 2000, USF 2000, whatever, uh, that he is not treated like, well, if you are not the next LeBron, Steph Curry, or whomever, instantly, you're out of here. Um, man, I'm praying that doesn't happen. Uh, Jerry Suddeth says, you're hearing rumors. The memorabilia show, Indy 500 memorabilia show, will not be at the Speedway again. Uh, is this a pandemic expediency by Penske or is this something that will never return to the track? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So maybe if any of you do, let me know. Um, I can tell you that I have a half baked plan in the back of my head to drive down to long beach this year 
and in our Mazda SUV, pile five or six Rubbermaid crates full of books, magazines, photos, stickers, posters, uh, crew shirts, jackets, t-shirt, like <sighs> load it with tons of memorabilia that I want to get models. I'm staring at a lot of one forty thirds and some one eighteenth scale models that haven't gone up on the Marshall Pruitt podcast merchandise page that I might just bring down to Long Beach ahead of time, obviously ask an IndyCar team or an IMSA team based in or around Indianapolis to haul them back. And then once I get there for the month of May, plan on bringing those out to the memorabilia show and getting a booth, uh, hopefully right alongside my brother, Derek Koska from torontomotorsports.com and let as much of that stuff go as possible to declutter, downsize and shrink the overwhelming amount of nonsense that I have collected over the years. So I hope someone will tell me where it's going to be, because if it's not going to be at the speedway, uh, if it's going to be out in Plainfield, not Illinois, as I said last year, but Indiana, uh, I hope someone will tell me because that will certainly make it even easier for me to plan on what I'm going to do. Oh boy. Uh, Hitoroki two, you have sent in a question that is like half a page along, bro. Half a page along. Sure. Half a page long, brother. Uh, I'm going to pick from it to uh, present it. So Marshall, the past few months been hearing that IndyCar needs bigger and better ideas. People mentioned Drive to Survive, NASCAR's race at the LA Coliseum. People forget that not so long ago, Randy Bernard tried many different things as well. Brought Hot Wheels and Stunts to the Indy 500. There was the Turbo animated movie, creating a Hollywood branch for IndyCar. It all failed miserably. Uh, then there was the race at Las Vegas. Randy was a, cons- a creative guy. Seems like his creativity, unfortunately, didn't equal financial success. Um, Say, so my question is, do you think the experiments by Randy has made IndyCar cautious of what it gets into or what it invests in? So they uh, definitely tried doing some new and awesome things, but they failed. Says, is IndyCar like a turtle with its head in the shell or an ostrich whose head is stuck in the ground? You also go on to say, uh, so isn't failure also part of success? What I mean is, don't we sometimes fail, then learn our lessons and do better next time? Isn't it time for IndyCar to pick itself up again? Say, yeah, that stuff sucked, but got to move forward. Start taking steps. Says, uh, closes by saying, thanks, Marshall, for your dedication, not only to the sport, but also to your family and fans. I'll hit it, Rookie, too. Stop being silly. Uh, we're all here doing the thing we love, right? Great points. Absolutely great points. I don't really see any connection, though, with the current administration. Randy was definitely a big idea guy. Did not have enough lieutenants to execute all of those things successfully. Did not have all the support that he needed from the Holman George family. Most of all from the IndyCar paddock. 
some of the power brokers definitely started saying, Hey, yeah, uh, the, these are some non-traditional ideas and eh, I prefer something a little more comfortable. Uh, think more inside the box. Would say for sure Randy came in was a creation of the Holman George family, for sure. Had a lot of verbal support from the paddock in the opening year or two, whatever it was. But that waned pretty quickly. So just saying for the big ambitious stuff that he was wanting to do, definitely needed a lot more support than what he ended up having. Today's owner of everything, they are not high, crazy, outside-the-box thinkers. And I'm not saying Randy was crazy, but you have a very conservative-minded group. Very much about image, style, presentation. Not about just spitballing here. (laughs) What if... We start a race at the moon and see who can get back to Earth the soonest. We're going to get Jeff Bezos and Amazon and Elon Musk, and we're going to get all right. The IndyCar 5 trillion, right? And again, I'm just pulling stuff out of my butt, but just, hey, what things can we do that you would say, yeah, that's actually very creative, non traditional? Whatever amount of fans we have, whatever that number is, we got them. Cool. But there aren't enough of them. So what things might we do to appeal to a wider audience to attract more fans by doing something different? Whatever we've been doing has worked to whatever degree it's going to work. And we got those people here who follow and care. What are we going to do to get more? Well, probably going to have to go outside of our comfort zone. This is the least outside of our comfort zone ownership group I am aware of in just about any form of major motor racing uh, domestically or globally. Look, they don't do outside the comfort zone. So whereas you had a a president of the series who was the big picture thinker and the let's try and let's, you know, hey, maybe it fails, but uh, we'll we'll keep going until we make something work. We almost have a, a complete inverse of that now. The difference being, though, I don't see it as a whiplash reaction. Uh, if, by chance, Randy Bernard never existed as IndyCar president. None of those things that he tried, uh, none of the failures happened. Roger bought the series back in whatever year Randy started, 2009, 2010. I don't think we would see any changes to what we see today. So I'd say just two very different chapters, Hitoroki 2, that are unrelated to the people in charge. Nick Dovniak, sorry, getting a little, <clears throat> been fighting a little sniffles or something lately, so I apologize. It's hitting me right now. Uh, Nick Dovniak, MP, in the next next IndyCar, what current road tech would you like to see? Active suspension, active aero, proximity alert, snow tires. Uh, I don't have hopes 
high hopes for the upcoming chassis, but maybe the one after will take a step into the 20th century. Hey, stop being snarky, Nick. That's my job. Um, yeah. Wouldn't I like to know? Uh, I'll see if I can pin down Jay and see if I can get any thoughts on this or if it's going to be a yes, hey, five-year plan, see, and I get nothing. I think I've mentioned before in print and maybe even on this little podcast of ours, not necessarily active suspension, but electronic adaptive damping, right? Right now we use purely mechanical, uh, mechanical systems, displaces hydraulic fluid, and there you go. Hey, dang near anything you're buying on the road today. Uh, is going to have some form of suspension advancements that are light years beyond what we do in what we think of as the pinnacle of motor racing technology uh, in America, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think this might be just an interesting area to open up. Hi, Chevy. Hi, Honda. Uh, Y'all spend a fortune on ride control and ride quality of your vehicles, whether it's super high-end corvette nsx type things down to whatever little grocery getter why don't we open this up not saying that honda cars have to have honda suspend honda dampers but at least crack that open and to other vendors uh, that might want to be involved whether they're large suppliers or boutique seems interesting to me why not do that i don't know about active aero it seems like that is something that should become part of road car technology to reduce uh, drag, save, whether it's uh, dinosaur juice or electric horsepower. That seems like something that would be further along than it is right now. But maybe if that's something that could be refined, developed, or explored in motor racing, I wouldn't be against that. Like just the like Formula One DRS, hey, we're going to, open up the flap to give you higher top speeds. Like, eh, I'm not a big DRS person, but I do like the idea of, hey, how can we have the vehicle actively, constantly trying to maximize efficiency in a straight line and then throw all the downforce it can once we get to the corners? And, you know, I think that might be interesting. Uh, I think I mentioned the proximity alerts too. If I wanted to see one really, what, I, what feels like realistic advancement, that is a smart cockpit. Our Mazda CX-9 isn't exactly overladen with futuristic tech um, in the cabin there, but it does have more things than an indie car. So I don't know if it's holographic, heads up stuff displayed on the inside of portions of the aero screen. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it looks like, nor do I think it should be spec, but I just do believe and have said for probably a decade now, all the smartphone vendors in the world and high-end electronic vendors, whether it's your TV at home or your freaking Wi-Fi toaster, you know, just... Man, it sure seems like we're sleeping on something big by not inviting 
Samsung, Google, Apple, run down the list. Hey, uh, this is now open. What version of your software shall we be using on this wraparound display in the cockpit? Uh, whether it's actual LCD type thing, or like I said, a heads up display projected onto portions of the aero screen, both, uh, why isn't this, why isn't the cockpit of the next IndyCar something where you go like, Hey, that's kind of star Wars, star Trek. It seems like that could almost be real where you go, whoa, <clears throat> this is amazing. Everything about this car is high achievement, high technology in some way. Why would we then have this kind of rudimentary cockpit, right? I realize that the Cosworth dash and the buttons and knobs and dials are cool and all that, but um, some of you probably have home sim rigs that are actually more visually impressive with the screens and technology and stuff that you've added to it to simulate driving an indie car when your home rig would have folks going damn that's cool but people would look at the real thing and go oh okay well yeah there's a steering wheel that's cool but uh everything else is just kind of an afterthought I think that might actually be something that would connect folks to go, oh, all right, uh, let me dig in and see what's going on here. This is really immersive and amazing. Uh, let's see, where do we go here as we start the wind down a little bit? Um, as I sometimes do, I go towards the end of Jim's questions here and pick from them. Uh, also should mention some of y'all sent in questions even as late as today on social medias. Me, granted, I have some limited characters available on Twitter, but uh, basically whenever the question call for questions goes out, the cutoff is around 3 o'clock Pacific. I think that's about when Jim stops looking, uh, 3.30 maybe, to throw items into uh, the week's Q and a document. So just as an FYI, if you're submitting questions on a Tuesday, I apologize, but, um, we've actually stopped collecting them quite a while beforehand. Uh, Maddie McDonald. How you doing, Maddie? says, does any car have target speeds in mind for the 500 with the all new horsepower and eventually a new chassis? Are they hoping to knock Ari off the throne? We're going to see 240 yet again, something I'd love to get a definitive answer on. I don't know. Back when Derek Walker and Randy were in charge of the series, um, I do recall them doing a presentation at Detroit of their year-to-year speed increase plan and going after the mile-per-hour record, the qualifying record. I know that that was well-received at the time by some and not well-received by others. I would say these days, Maddie, I would suggest to IndyCar to not put a number out there. I'd rather have them say nothing and be in a position where the new cars are hopefully capable of eclipsing the qualifying record. 
having that as something to promote. Look, the gains we've made, cars are safer than ever, proven that we can go faster than ever while maintaining safety, while maintaining control, blazing new horizons kind of thing, than put a number out there and fail to meet it. Right now, there are serious questions as to whether the new package with all the new weight that's coming with it will actually be able to do such things like break big, long-standing, and impressive track records. Get the weight down, maybe this starts to become more of a reality. But that's why I think right now, Maddie, if I could even get a number out of them, I'd probably recommend them not giving it to me. <laughs> I would like to know if they do have a general desire for the new cars to be faster uh, or just to I should say faster in terms of lap time or average lap speed or just simply generate faster speeds. Meaning, hey, maybe we didn't break the lap record at Long Beach, but we just went 12 miles an hour faster down the front straight. And we had to slow the car more and maybe it wasn't as fast through the corner. But again, hey, wow, these things are a missile when they go by. Just a question of the experience, folks standing, watching things that, again, maybe they're not breaking records, but at least like making you fearful to get close to them because like, oh my God, that's a rocket. I don't know. Um, some of the challenges they've been having too, Maddie, of getting everything done, get, getting everything ready on time and going testing and, you know, been a lot of milestones missed. I don't even know if their head is in that space right now. I'd think it might be closer to let's just get stuff going and then we can maybe think about records later. Uh, Philip Schmitz, Noah Richardson, you're asking about uh, some comments. Jeff Gordon recently saying that uh, Rick Hendrick would be okay with Kyle Larson running in the Indy 500. Um, thoughts about that reality of that. Part of me wondered, well, all of me wondered, but part of me wondered if it was, which would be better. Hey, uh, Roger Penske, you're running three cars this year, not four. I know that Beth Predisher could use a chassis lease uh, to get in the show, but I did have a bit of a, hmm, I wonder if we could see some sort of surprise Kyle Larson, Penske, Rick Hendrick, something or other for the 500. Would that be a this year? Would it be next? I don't know. Uh, but that did occur to me like, huh, I would think it would be pretty much a, a no-brainer to say, Beth, uh, here's Simon Pagano's number 22 chassis from last year's race. Uh, the fact that that hasn't happened, uh, after seeing the uh, the Larson thing, I'm not saying I, I truly, I've heard nothing from anybody. It was just a thought in my head, like, huh, well, if you weren't going to do it uh, and, and support Peretta Autosport with the one of the glaring needs they have, which is a chassis, could you be holding on to it for a big splash with the reigning NASCAR champ? I don't know. And if it happens, don't say you heard it here first because I have no information about this. It's just a brain thing so if it does happen good on the folks who make that happen uh let's see 
I love this note. I actually, uh, I read this to my wife uh, while we were uh, in sitting in chemo today, Ed. I said, hey, MP, all the best to you and your wife and the cats. No question. I just wanted to introduce the youngest Marshall Pruitt podcast listener. Ed says, my wife gave birth to our first child. Child's name is Sebastian. And yes, our favorite French fry was part of the inspiration for his name. That's really cool, Ed. Thank you so much for sending that uh iffy on the choice of, of the french fry naming thing but you know we'll we'll get past that uh don't tell your son right give him a chance in life don't tell him he's attached to a french fry but anyways kidding aside congratulations to you and your wife and uh how cool uh raymond wong says i know you mentioned fubu for us by us as one of the most out of the world sponsors to indycar um you also had the short-lived church of scientology sponsoring the late vince granatelli team uh is there any other out of the world sponsor to hit indycar that is forgotten oh yeah i mean i'm i'm totally sure wow raymond why is my mind going blank right now let's do this uh i want to keep the show moving i don't know why i'm having a brain fart uh maybe some of y'all listeners can share some memories of crazy out of left field sponsors that uh come to mind and uh, share those on Twitter or our uh, Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. And if any come to mind, Raymond, hopefully my brain starts working, I'll mention it here. Uh, Ed Joris asking questions about whether former Aston Martin F1 slash Racing Point slash 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 um, team principal Otmar Zafnar will be uh, finding a job or something uh, in the USA asking, uh, if he called me and wanted to come back to the USA, whose phone number, um, uh, whose numbers I'd give to him, who I'd recommend he might go to IndyCar, IMSA, etc. That's an interesting one, Ed. Yeah. Otmar, Ot- I'm not going to edit any of this. I don't know why my mouth isn't working today, but Hey, uh, Otmar, I'd, He'd never call me because he knows enough people, but pretty darn good at his job. Who would benefit the most in IndyCar? I'll just stay with IndyCar since he's been an open-wheel guy. I might point him towards Meyer Shank Racing. Mike Shank, Mary Beth Shank, Jim Meyer as well. Um done a pretty amazing thing in growing their team, relied more and more on talented veterans of late, whether it's Adam Rovazzini, my friend who I give a hard time to, but truly love, but I give my closest friends the hardest times because that's what you're supposed to do, Matt Swan. Um, Mike has let more and more things go. Let more people manage things, help grow the team, build it out, etc. And they've only seen more and more success come from it. I do think there's going to come a time much sooner than later where it would benefit the team for Mike to hire a Otmar Zafnauer type person where you go, hey, super veteran team principal, team manager, knows everybody, knows how to run a super organized, super effective ship. 
I think that's going to be an important step for Mike here soon. Not because he's doing a bad job. Not because he has limitations. Mike is the greatest asset that team has. That's not speaking negatively of others. But he, right, is the person that everybody loves, wants to work for, wants to be around, wants to buy into, wants to everything. It often comes a time where that person needs to elevate and move to a more overarching role, less of a day-to-day managerial role. Of course, there runs the risk of there being a bit of a disconnect, right? The guy that everybody loves and wants to work for, well, now he's not so much of a hands-on guy or woman, um, but that person often needs to do that for the benefit of their team and their business to allow it to continue to grow. If Mike just wanted to stay where he was, two Indy cars, one prototype, we're not doing anything else ever, nobody like an Otmar is needed. Mike wants to grow, become more, take on and beat Penske's, Ganassi's, Andretti's, McLaren's, and so on. Um... He might need to consider installing someone like an Otmar so he can be more of the thing that is very unique to him that has sponsors and businesses and everything, manufacturers wanting to be part of what he's doing and having to do less reviewing of resumes and evaluating which healthcare company to switch to because they've got better dental uh, etc for the following year like that's where i think a change is going to need to happen so that's where i would say here in short time short term ed a uh otmar to shank is what i that's what the number i'd give him uh james lau he says mp second time submitting this i recall last year in preseason testing at laguna aaron mclaren sp ran their cars with rakes the fences behind the front wheels to collect aero data like you see in f1 did anything result from that data collection? Yes, of course. Um, I guess I apologize for not seeing this the first time around, but yes, James, they would never take the time to build the struts and mounting uh, structures to carry those and then do nothing with the data. So yes, uh, you use those to better map and understand airflow around the vehicle which then informs the engineering team, um, the folks looking at the aero side of the vehicle, uh, helps in better inform them of what changes work to what degree and how it changes and interacts with other things with the car. So yes, without a doubt, uh, this is all information they would have gained to better inform their decisions on what aero changes to make. Uh, let's see, uh, Van, Van Cat Air Dumont, uh, asks, seems like IndyCar has a beef with IMSA. Does a rising tide float all boats or is IndyCar right to fear the coming manufacturer engagement with IMSA in their GTP and GTD classes? Also, any chance we can get Snoop Dogg toking during yellow flag periods at Indy seems to be a good way to raise coverage of the event. <laughs> there we go. Um, I don't know if. IndyCar is afraid of anything uh, when it comes to IMSA because I don't honestly think they pay a lot of attention to IMSA. So 
take that for what it's worth. Is there, I think I am missing a question in here too about the, uh, the schedule stuff and that kind of being resolved with, uh, the Texas and Sebring conflict. Uh, I'll just mention that quickly here because it is related. IndyCar was presented an opportunity for network TV time at Texas on the date that is being used, which just happens to conflict with Sebring IMSA middle of March. Their standard, like you always know when Sebring's going to be held. Look on the calendar for whatever the mid March date mid-march weekend happens to be that's what it is if you want to go to the 12 hours of sebring next year or 50 years from now look at a future calendar find whatever weekend falls in the middle of march that's it it's been that way forever gonna be that way forever uh indycar was presented with the opportunity to get network time on that sunday the day after the 12 hours of sebring in texas and in order to reap the benefits of that indycar said yes and moved texas way forward in the schedule to where it normally is instead of its post indy 500 uh june slot it's now taking place in mid-march because of this tv opportunity indycar did this with full knowledge of all the other motor races taking place that weekend and said eh, sorry, this is what we want. This is what we feel is best for us. To those of us who think racing series like IMSA and IndyCar should be respectful to one another and not try and trample each other's major events, Sebring is truly made. It's their biggest event of the year. Uh, I know the Rolex 24 might have whatever level of prestige because it's the first it's a long race and it's got lots of TV coverage and it's, you know, happening when nothing else is going on in racing. Sebring is truly their biggest event. Uh, most tenured and storied event been held longer than the Rolex 24 and also crowd size. It's their biggest of the year, right? So again, it's everything to them. IndyCar said, cool, great, whatever. Uh, we normally play nicely together. We aren't now. We're going to go and get TV and we'll do our best to work around and do some special schedule stuff to allow our drivers to practice and then go and do your race and then come back. Had enough IndyCar team owners say, you know what, this is just, it's going to be too much. Going to make our IndyCar drivers focus on Texas, find replacements for them at Sebring. And then we got down to where there's only one or two drivers who might be doing the uh, back and forth and IndyCar just said, hey, you know what? It's not worth now having this modified Sebring related schedule just to accommodate one or two people. Um, it's not cool. There's nobody within the IndyCar paddock or IMSA paddock that's happy about this. And there have been a lot of people who have said, IndyCar, don't do this again. I hope they listen. I really hope we don't get this annual, hey, we're going to drop Texas or whatever on this mid-March weekend. Um, it's weird. It's it's a weird thing because I know for sure, Van Cat, Harris, Dumont, that IMSA respects IndyCar and does its best 
to be a good neighbor and not do things to trample. I think that goodwill has been seriously compromised. So what I'm curious to find out is what is IndyCar's approach going to be after we're done with Texas as they're thinking towards the following year? Uh, Would they consider trampling on Sebring again? Uh, Boy, if they were to do that, I can only imagine the the calls and shouts coming from uh, their team owners who also play in IMSA. I mean, the, the big thing here is who won the Rolex 24 at Daytona overall? Meyer Shank Racing. Who's the one IndyCar driver from MSR who's signed to do all of the long races in IMSA? Elio Castro Neves. Who's one of the biggest stars from IMSA in recent years? Elio, who was there full-time three years. Now, not only a champion from 2020, but now winner of the Rolex 24. Huge. So you go to round two at Sebring, right? Where kind of like winning the Indy 500, you'd want your Indy winning driver to go to the next race, right? It's going to help hopefully sell tickets. It's just going to be a big, hey, come meet the new Indy 500 winner. It's a big promotional thing when we go to, whether it be Texas or Belle Isle and Detroit. So guess what IMSA cannot do now because of this change in accommodating Sebring with the Texas schedule. Well, they've now had to yank Elio. IMSA doesn't have the biggest name it was hoping to promote at Sebring. Hi, <laughs> guess who's going to be here? Yes, big deal, big news. I feel for IMSA. It's just a dickish move, uh, all because one extra race of network TV is going to be generated. I know you want to do whatever's best for your series, but really, I don't know. All right, a couple minutes to go here. Uh, we have actually moved through all the questions above Jim's yellow line, the rev limiter, and I think I've done th- two or three below that before the red line of, quote, death. Um, our pal Mitsuki Matsura says, MP, I'd like to know your impression about the IndyCar Pro Challenge that was held last Wednesday. Uh, also, have you already talked with uh, drivers who participated in the event? Uh, I hope it would lead to an exciting IndyCar video game that will be available next year. Uh, have not spoken to any drivers about it, Mitsuki. I think I saw Felix Rosenquist want it. I paid no attention to it. And I say this with all love for those who live for iRacing, sim racing, and everything else. It's just not my jam. Um, <laughs> kind of got too many other things going on for me to try and do on the average day to then worry about uh, virtual racing when I can barely stay on top of what I got to do with uh, real-world racing, my friends. So um, that's just something where I hope you all love it and engage in it and uh, keep doing your thing there just honestly not something i really keep uh keep track of here uh related uh ryan terfstra mp there's a prude psa public service announcement we will do the fantasy indycar challenge in a group again this year if indycar runs one no details yet 
because the challenge isn't active. Um, I take that as a threat, Terpstra. Be careful. Um, cool. Let me know what, what happens. Uh, let's see. Ricky Zagata wondering if Kevin Magnuson testing for Ganassi means their Peugeot program has slowed down. I've only heard that it's not going to appear as quickly as we'd hoped, Ricky. So I just wouldn't describe that as anything new. Uh, this has been known for quite a while that, yeah, Peugeot's not charging to be on track ASAP. Uh, Vincent1701, why no red tires and testing? Just a, a desire and a cost thing where, uh, yeah, in the annual tire leases, um, making red tires available for testing is not really something that they do. I would also say that since the red banded tires are specific, tend to be specific to a track or type of tracks, you know, for what we're talking about here, since we've had the majority of preseason done at Sebring, there's no quote Sebring red tire. So uh, there's that. But, you know, if we're talking about some of the other regular tracks that we go to, yeah, I got to admit, I do wonder why there isn't one set made available uh, among the sets that are offered. But uh, at least for what we've seen, Vincent, that's just not a place I really want to go. Uh, the Flash 947 from Reddit, as I'm trying to blast through these final ones here. If a group under the Toyota umbrella does become the third engine manufacturer, would you expect a driver in the Toyota family to come over and race in IndyCar? I would. Absolutely would. And I'd look forward to it. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, Dan Gallagher at Racing Fish on Twitter. Do your guests see questions in advance? Maybe have veto power. Uh, do you have a question? You're dying to ask someone. Uh, but no, you can't. Uh, questions are not provided in advance, Dan. Uh, there's no veto power. Sometimes this actually really isn't so much of a Jim or uh, Jim Kaiser or before him uh, with my pal Tim Falkowitz who put together the questions. I mean, I, rarely would I ever see anything that I would say, oh, yeah, that's objectionable or I know they're not going to answer. But when I was putting them together myself, I'd certainly go like, look, it's a good question, but I know they're not going to answer. And why kill the show by, uh, you know, lobbing a, a question grenade that's not going to help things. So, but no, um, no questions shown ahead of time. No veto power. Uh, I also do not, as uh, some folks do, um, put the show in front of, the guest before it's published and give them editing like, Hey, let me know if like, look, we all got enough things to do. I'm not asking any questions here that are going to get you in prison or get you fired. Do the show. Hope you enjoy it and, uh, keep it moving. So pretty simple that way, Dan. Um, just trying to find one John Wojnar, your, uh, Talking about Lee Diffie and bring the action and uh, all that kind of... Well, right, this is a brain bender. MP of China is 13 hours ahead of the U.S. Eastern Standard Time. Should Lee Diffie yell, it's time to bring the action! 13 hours earlier than normal during his Olympic coverage so that it's the correct time to bring the action in the U.S. <sighs> Don't make me take a lot of Advil tonight here, Wojnar. Uh, we're going to close with this. Uh, John Wirtz 
says, can we really say IndyCar series is still on the up and up if the Indy 500 has fewer entries than last year and a driver like Ryan Hunter race sitting on the sidelines for the 500? I uh, says, I know the new car's coming in 23, but does the series lose momentum in 22 for that reason? I mean, I, what did we have last year for full time? 22-ish, 23, uh, 24? Uh, again, I know that some of these were part-time entries and whatever, but um, we've got 26 full-time cars this year, man. And with some of the additional entries expected from time to time, we should legitimately be at 28 to maybe even 30. So I know the 8500 is often the uh, kind of canary in the coal mine, right? Let Hey, how it's doing, how it's surviving is indicative of everything else being good or bad with IndyCar. I, I wouldn't put that on the Indy 500 this year, John. I really wouldn't. For all the reasons we discussed to open the show and that I also discussed in my Indy 500 entry list story, there's a bunch of unique factors this year that will keep the entry list to, and I'm guessing, 34 to 35. 36 is the maximum number we would expect because Chevy and Honda have said they would do 18 leases total. Chevy has two that are unused at the moment. Peretta has one of those, provided she, Beth can find everything she needs, but... Chevy's at 16, Honda's at 17. We'll see if a 18th Honda emerges. Again, a lot of unique things this year that I would not attribute to a lack of something or a problem with the series. It feels like it's doing fairly well. I mean, Hunter Ray being on the sidelines, I hear you, but I'd also say our French fry, Sebastian Bourdais, what about that? Um... There's always some negatives going into a new season. No, uh, it's the obvious overstatement. Always some negatives. Um, but I wouldn't say those negatives this year lead to any kind of, are we really being honest about where IndyCar's at? And is it really in, in a worse off way? It's not. Lots of things that need improvement. Lots of issues to take care of. Always the case with them, with every other series in life. Again, it's kind of... Just normal stuff. I'm telling you straight as I see it. IndyCar's in a really good place this year. And when you read about some of what's coming here in the next day or two or three on Racer, might be some things where you go, okay, well, those, I don't know if those are all great, happy, shiny pieces of information, but uh, I'd say the overall health today and looking to the future is still super super positive so that's what i got to say all right y'all uh coming in here at just i think around an hour and a half so that's what i'm going to aim for in the future granted we're going to have the first race of the season coming up shortly i look forward to so much having just regular racing questions about stuff that happened uh, it feels like it's been a really long off season y'all and y'all blessed us, my wife and I with a lot of great content here to do every week on this, uh, IndyCar listener Q and a show brought to you by Cooper tires, the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com. But I am aching, truly aching to talk about who ran into who, who 
pooped in the punch bowl and qualifying who under delivered to open the season, who knocked it out of the park by surprise, like just normal flow of racing stuff. Can't wait for that to get here. So I don't know who our guest is going to be this week. Uh, I think I might reach out. I don't know who I'm going to reach out to. I thought about Alex below, um, maybe Pato, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so provided we have a guest show, uh, Nonetheless, thanks for listening, and I look forward to speaking to you very soon.